Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Life does a number on us at times, and quite frankly, there are moments where we then have to do something daring, things that are out of our comfort zone, things that are out of our experience, things that are out of our depth. And there'll often be an option where you can kind of take, dare I say, the coward's way out, or you can take the daring way in. And we are just absolutely convinced that following Jesus, one of the the biggest fruits that can grow in your life and following Jesus is courage, is boldness, and it's learning to make daring decisions. And so we've hopefully somewhere in this series, you've God's done something in your life and encouraged you and taught you to like maybe where you've been someone who's been maybe afraid in certain areas or fearful or timid that you've learned, hang on a second, like, again, the songs in my head now, I feel like singing that you can roar or something like that. I'm not going to do it. I might actually towards the end, but um, maybe we'll we'll finish the song. We'll finish the service on the song. We can all sing together and um, (laughs) it should be pretty funny. But, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter your experience. Any of you can make decisions that are outside of your comfort zone and that can be bold and daring. In fact, in fact, just a few weeks ago, I saw this with, with my three-year-old daughter. And if you've met her before, she, you know, confidence isn't an issue, generally isn't an issue for her in most areas. But, but um, I'm of the belief that, you know, if you want your child to be passionate about something, instill that into them from an early age. And so, so I, I absolutely love, you know, the bush. I love mountains. I love enduring nature in that regard. So from the youngest of age, I've been taking my daughter with me on hikes and I put her in a backpack with a special backpack. Now, the thing is, she's grown out. She's far too big for it. Um, but I've enjoyed doing it because it's, you know, it's a bit of a workout having this like 16 kilo girl on your shoulders trying to, you know, hike up a mountain. But anyways, recently I've been like, I reckon she's got it in her. And so for the past couple of months, I've been trying to, you know, she'd been walking a lot, but then I'm like, I want to get her climbing mountains. And so... So about a month ago, I was like, Willa, we're going to climb Instagram Mountain. I mean, Mount Coolum. And she goes, oh, okay. And so we climbed it many times before on my back. And I'm like, this is your chance, sweetheart. And so, you know, she's this big. You know, she can barely piece together a sentence. But I was like, sweetheart, actually, she can do a great job of that far better than I can. But I was like, we're going to climb it. And so I was like, if she can pull this off. Because, you know, she gets a bit nervous if you climb Mount Coolum before. There's a couple of hairy parts there. And Anyway, I was blown away. Not only was she climbing the hard parts and like this was like this is you know during daylight hours in summer and she is going for it. Like she's climbing all the way up. She gets through the tricky part. I can't believe it. And then she not only was she climbing it, she had the most incredible attitude and she's saying to people who are going past, you know, you're doing a great job. You can do it. You can do it. High five. Now, a lot of the people you're doing that to weren't happy there on the mountains. And if you've ever been dragged up Mount Coolum before on some dodgy date before, you know how annoying it is seeing those people that are loving it and got their fit fast, you know, active wear. That's my daughter saying, you can do it. You can do it. And as we get near the top, and I'm blown away that she's lasted this long, we come across this, this one unsuspecting soul, this poor lady who clearly was coaxed into doing it against her will. And she's, she's like, she not only looks like she's got heat stroke, she looks like she's having a mild panic attack. You can tell she just wanted to get off the mountain. So here's my beautiful daughter for the past hour going to people, you can do it, you can do it. Said that to this lady who's sitting there, you know, heat stroke. She says, you can do it. And the lady didn't give her the response my daughter wanted. And so in front of her, my daughter turns to me and says, Daddy, she can't do it. <laughs> so she was right. Um, I don't know what happened to the lady, but definitely my daughter gave her a hit to this poor woman's courage. But here's the thing, life just, life just will require of you courage at times. And maybe you're someone here that's new to, new to church. Maybe you're not a, a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not even sure where you stand with 
God, whether he's even real or not. There's one thing we can probably all agree on, that at times we need courage. And, you know, generally when life calls upon you to have courage, you generally tap into reserves of confidence that you have. So if you're gifted in an area or talented in an area or experienced in an area, that's usually the area you'll tap into. For example, you know, if, if, if one of the most terrifying things anyone can go on is a first date. So if you're going on a first date, and of course there's a heap to be nervous by, right? And so, so you want to tap into the things that you know, you know, you're experienced in or you're talented at. So for example, you might not feel like, you know, you're the most, most attractive person in the world. So you're like, I can't lean into my looks. But you do know you've got the best personality in the world. So you're like, oh, I've got my best jokes up my sleeve. I'm ready. Like, I've got the best conversation. And so you lean into your strengths. Maybe you're nervous because you're like, oh, I don't own a house and I don't have much money. So I can't like flash my cash. Like, we're going to Subway for this date. You know, we're not going to Bistro Series. But you do know you've got a plan. And so you go in confident because I've got a plan. I'm studying. I'm saving. I'll, I'll get there one day. So, so when life calls upon you to have confidence, you generally tap into the, well, sorry, when your life calls on you to have courage, you will generally naturally tap into the areas that you have confidence in, right? But every now and again, a moment will arise where you need courage and you do not have any reserves of confidence to draw on. Something will happen when there's no experience, you have no passion for it, you've got no confidence in it. What do you do in a moment like that? And here's the question, I want to begin with tonight, I want to ask us, is can your faith in God contribute to the courage that you'll need in life? Can having faith in God, can putting your trust in God somehow contribute to the courage that you and I are going to inevitably need in life? Is there something in Jesus, is there something in Christianity that you can draw on when you have nothing in yourself to draw on? When you're in something where you don't have any experience or any talent, or any know-how, or any confidence, is there something in Jesus that you can draw on in order to find the courage that you will need in life? And men and women for the past 2,000 years on every continent and all cultures and all language and all times, throughout all history, there are millions of people who would say with a resounding, yes, there is so much in the Christian faith. There is so much through having faith in God that you can draw on to find your confidence in life. And so what I wanna do tonight to bring this whole series to a land, I wanna go back right to the beginning. And the, the first century church, the men and women who were there, not only for the life of Jesus and saw him teach and saw him live, but were there when they saw him crucified. But ultimately, they were there for the big moment, his resurrection. And they birthed the church and then Christianity started to spread. There's a book in the New Testament that comes straight after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, called Acts. It means the Acts of the Apostles. The Apostles is a kind of a Christian term, which simply means eyewitness in one of the translations. So the Apostles are generally people who saw Jesus resurrected. And so most of them are those who wrote our New Testament scriptures. And so uh, Luke, who was one of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts is kind of like part two of his gospel. He wrote, it, he wrote the book of Acts as well. And where we pick up this story tonight is in the fourth chapter of Luke. And what had happened to give you the backstory, okay? Jesus was now resurrected and his disciples started doing what they see Jesus do. And so this one day, Peter and John who were two of Jesus' first disciples, they were going to the temple to pray. And as they get to the temple, there was a man sitting at the front of the temple who from birth had been paralyzed, never been able to walk, and he was now 40 years of age. And so Peter and John walk to the temple and the man's there asking for arms, asking for money because he couldn't work to provide for himself. So, so they're sitting there asking for money. Peter and John get there and like, look, we don't have any money, but we do have something else. 
And we've seen Jesus do this, so we're going to do it too. And so they pray for the man and the guy jumps up on his feet, completely healed. And it was amazing. And so the place goes off, right? As you can imagine, if you've seen a man for 40 years paralyzed and never walking, all of a sudden dancing and leaping and singing and praising God, right? It caused a commotion, just like happened when Jesus was doing it himself. And so everyone's gathered around Peter and John and Peter and John are saying, look, why are you looking at us? It wasn't us, it was Jesus. And so they started preaching about Jesus and teaching about Jesus. And then people are being converted to Jesus. And the same thing that happened when Jesus was doing it himself. He ticked off all the temple authorities. And so the authorities of the temple, keep in mind in ancient Israel, the temple authorities ruled the land. It was pretty much Rome and then the temple. Okay. So they were, they were, they were really powerful. They got ticked off that all the attention was going away from them and was going to Peter and John. And this is where we pick up the story um, when they arrest Peter and John for what they were doing. Here it is, Acts chapter four. It says the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees was one of the religious classes. They came up to Peter and to John where they were speaking to the people and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Here they were, they hadn't committed any crimes, they'd simply seen a guy who was born paralyzed and had been paralyzed for 40 years, had seen him healed in Jesus' name. And that caused them to get arrested because everyone's attention was on them, no longer on the temple authorities. And so now they're in, the, in jail. And then this is what happens in the very next day. Oh, sorry. So the next day they get him in, they start questioning them. They start asking them about what they did. And they're like, listen, don't ask us, look at the guy. And they couldn't ignore it because the guy's walking and he'd been there for 40 years. So everyone knew a miracle had happened, right? And so Peter and John had just, unashamedly preaching about Jesus. And here's how it concludes. It says, when they saw, say this word with me, when they saw the what? The courage. When they saw the courage of Peter and John standing in front of these judges and this court and the the temple guard, and they were boldly declaring who Jesus was and that Jesus can heal. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, this is so interesting. And they realized that they were unschooled meaning here they were teaching those who were schooled about religious etiquette and religious belief. And Peter and John hadn't done any formal education, hadn't done any formal training, hadn't gone to rabbi school, hadn't memorized all of the, 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 you know, the, Jewish, the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, the, or the law, the Torah. They were completely unschooled. And they were ordinary men, meaning they weren't of position or title or wealth or, or, or they, they weren't influential in the community. They were just, they were just dudes or blokes. So they saw the courage, they realized they're unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, why this is so fascinating to note that it was their courage that stood out here and Luke thought it imperative to record that they, it wasn't their great etiquette, it wasn't their great speech, it wasn't their great talent, it wasn't their passion. It was their courage that took note. It's because you have to understand this. Um, this was right after, this was barely 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the courage that they displayed here was one of the greatest evidences that we have throughout antiquity and throughout history of proof that Jesus actually was resurrected from the dead. And this is a really big thing to get your head around because ultimately, you know, there'd been many religious teachers throughout history. There'd been many people who'd started religious movements throughout history, but all of them had died. None of them were able to predict and pull off their own death and resurrection. Jesus was the only one. And so that's ultimately what Christianity is based on, not just the teachings of Jesus, not just the life of Jesus, but the thing that 
authenticated and punctuated everything he taught and gave Jesus authority to, did, to, to claim what he claimed, that he was God in the flesh, that he was God in a body, was ultimately doing what only God could do, resurrecting. And so, so it's important for us to know, will we find evidence or we can see evidence in history to Jesus' resurrection? It's worth paying notice. And so think about why their courage is important here, okay? Nowhere in that history, no movement that was only three years into its infancy would ever survive the death of its leader. No, no movement, no political movement, no, no religious movement. So early into its infancy, right? Jesus had barely been teaching for three years. No movement, no religious movement so early into its journey could survive the death of its leader, particularly one that was built on the claims that the leader was the son of God. Think of how this played out, okay? When Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, just outside of Jerusalem, the moment he was arrested, the guys ran away, all of his followers. They bolted. They fled. And Jesus predicted it, even turned to Peter. Peter, who's here known for his courage, goes, Peter, as soon as they get arrested, you're going to turn your back on me. And he's like, I will not. I'm going to stand by you. I'll fight to death for you. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in your corner. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Before even a rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going you're gonna to deny me. You're going to run from me. Jesus, and Peter's like, I'm not. But sure enough, the rooster crows Peter denies him three times. And what I find interesting, the gospel accounts, as much as we believe the Holy Spirit inspired, they're also written through people. And I find it interesting the, uh, the details some of the writers put in there. And, and one of the writers that talks about who, who Peter denied Jesus in front of was a 12-year-old girl. As if to say, Peter was such a wuss that he wouldn't even stand up for Jesus in front of a prepubescent girl, right? That's how scared he was. Can you imagine writing that? Yeah, Peter is a scaredy cat, right? So essentially, but this just gives you an idea. Peter was not courageous. He, 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 when he had the chance to stand up for Jesus, to stand up for his faith, the moment Jesus was arrested, he bailed. He ran off. He was fearful. The moment Jesus was crucified and was killed, every single one of his followers went back to what they were doing before Jesus arrived. They quit. They were no longer Jesus followers. They went back to their employment. Most of them were fishermen. They went back fishing. They completely quit. So to see then, barely two months after his resurrection, Peter and John standing in front of the hierarchy of their society with boldness and courage and obviously had to point to the fact that they had seen something and something had taken place that changed them from being men who were running for their lives, fearful that what had happened to the founder of this new faith was gonna happen to them too, to all of a sudden standing there bold and courageous. Maybe what happened is they saw a resurrected Jesus. And here's the point. Courage is always evidence of faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the same in your life too. I'm telling you, if you're someone who's a follower of Jesus here, if you're a Christian here, I mean, do you realize that you don't have to live your life fearful of the unknown, fearful of, of the unpredictable? You can actually know courage, and we're about to look tonight at how, how this, this works out in life. You can know courage in your own life. Here's the thing. For Peter and John standing in front of the temple hierarchy of the day and the Sadducees, no one, <laughs> no one would have courage to stand up in front of the powers of the temple, because if you did, if you threatened them, if you tried to school them, you're in threat of losing everything. You'd lose your position in the temple, which means you'd lose your community, which means you'd lose your business, which means you'd lose your position, you'd lose your life, you could potentially lose your family. The only people that ever had courage to stand in front of the temple hierarchy and the temple rulers were those who were schooled 
meaning those who knew what they were talking about and were rabbis and religiously educated, or those who were extraordinary men and women, those who were of position, those who were of means, those who had titles. But the fact that Peter and John were unschooled and were uneducated, the only thing that distinguished them from anyone else that led to their courage, and this is what was noted, is that they had been with Jesus. The direct implications of them knowing Jesus personally is that they went from fearful men who were terrified to men who were bold and men who were known for their courage. And it wasn't a courage that was displayed in arrogance or pride or foolishness. It wasn't the kind of courage that comes from being the best or the most educated or the most powerful or the most experienced. But it was the courage that was the courage that they displayed gave witness to their faith in Jesus. And it's an amazing thing that you and I can know too. Let me give an example of how extraordinary this is, okay? So when I see people like Sarah and the team do what they do on the stage and see Ant drumming like he does and see the guys on guitar and everything, like, it makes me sick how talented people are here. It's absolutely amazing. So, so I grew up in church, right? And so eventually I was like, I want to like, I want to do it too. I want to do it too. I want to play music, right? But I, a problem, I couldn't. And so I went and got schooled, okay? I paid, I paid a guitarist for several years every single week to teach me guitar. And so it took me several years of getting schooled, right? You seeing this? Before I had confidence to stand up on stage, on this stage, and begin to play in front of people. So for something, and I don't know what horrible sins those poor unsuspecting people committed to have me damage their ears with my guitar playing. God bless them. And if you were there, I'm so, I'm so sorry if you were there to experience that tragedy. But the point is, like, I, for something as menial and as, and as minute and as not that important as music, as playing guitar, it took me two years of schooling to have confidence to do something as basic as guitar. But yet for Peter, it was barely 50 days that he went from being afraid of a 12-year-old girl to all of a sudden standing in front of the most powerful people in his nation fearlessly. What had happened in the space of not even two months for a man to go from being absolutely a coward to being the most courageous man in town? Something had taken place during those 50 days. How did he go from someone who was a quitter to someone who took the bold option? And more importantly, why is this important for you and I to know? Because there will be plenty of times in my life and in your life where we too will be tempted to quit when what is really needed is not for you to quit. And potentially some of you right now are tempted in your life to quit on something. And maybe it's something very, very important. And maybe what isn't needed is for you to quit. Maybe what is needed is for you and I to learn to take courage. And if Peter could find it in under two months from being a coward to someone who is courageous, That teaches us something incredible, that courage can grow. Boldness can build in your life and in my life. And so what I want to say to you tonight, two simple words, don't quit. If you're facing something right now that's got you terrified to your boots and your knees are knocking and you're freaking out, I want to ask you to hold off quitting just for a moment and to consider if a quitter like Peter in under two months can go from being a quitter to someone who's then known for his courage, maybe you can too. And I want to ask you tonight, would you reconsider 
areas in your life that you were potentially considering throwing in the towel in. Maybe it was a relationship that's worth it. Maybe you've come to the end of your rope in it and you're like, I'm ready to quit on it. I'm ready to quit on them. Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's someone that you've been investing into and you're tempted to quit. I want to ask you, reconsider. Maybe for some of you, you're tempted to quit on a dream. There's something that was inside of you, maybe something you're passionate about and fired you up. And you're tempted right now because of the discouragement, because of the delay to quit. Would you hold off just for a little while longer? Maybe some of you, you're, you, maybe tonight was your last shot at giving God a go. And you've been maybe coming to church for a while and you're tempted to walk out. And I want to ask you just hold just for a few moments. Would you put the brakes on just for a moment, just for the next few minutes and reconsider quitting? Because maybe what is needed from you isn't to quit. Maybe it's to take courage. And I want to hopefully tonight show you how you can do that. And this is exactly what we see happens now with Peter and John. So they're standing in front of these, the, the hierarchy of the day. They, they, um, they, they gave their confession. They said, you know, Jesus had healed this man. And, and they refused to be quiet about their conviction that, you know, clearly we didn't do it. This guy's been, you know, paralyzed for 40 years. Now he's walking. This was Jesus. And, um, and so eventually they didn't know what to do with Peter and John. So they booted him out. They said, we've got to, you know, we've got to confer with one another. So they start talking, you know, what are we going to do? Like, we can't say that they're faking or lying because everyone knows this guy and he's healed. Like the evidence is right in front of us. What do we do? And they're like, okay, let's get them back in and let's threaten them and let's tell them they've got to quit on this whole thing and give up on Jesus or else what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them too. So like, we'll threaten them. The same thing we did to Jesus, we can do to his followers. And so they bring them back in and here's how the story continues. They called them back in and they commanded them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus, all right? So it's a threat. Go, we want you to quit this business, this Jesus business. Quit, give it up. Yeah, but this guy's been healed. Don't care, quit it, all right? Or what happened to Jesus is gonna happen to you too. And this is their response. You wanna hear a daring response? Here it is. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. And, you know, they were. So they're saying, do your job. He says, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. They're essentially saying, look, you can threaten us all you want. But guys, not only had we heard what Jesus taught and we heard the incredible things that he accomplished, but guys, we heard his predictions. He predicted he was going to get crucified, but he predicted he was going to get resurrected. And unfortunately for everyone in the room here, he pulled it off. And if you've seen what we have seen, and if you had heard what we had heard, you'd go up to paralyzed people as well and pray for them to get healed too. And when you start seeing paralyzed people get healed, you can threaten us all you want. But I'm sorry, we ain't gonna quit. And here's the amazing thing. Their courage was demonstrated in their resolve to not quit. Their courage was demonstrated in their resolve to not quit. Let's swing to that slide. Because here's what I want to ask you to do, right? Because often courage, we can often think in terms of it's a, it's a, it's a physically daring thing, you know, putting your life in line, putting your body in line. And of course, in many dynamics it is, but I want to go to something deeper than that. Sometimes courage is displayed in simply making the decision, I will not walk out on them. I will not quit on this commitment. I will not give up just because it's difficult, right? I might fail, 
but I'm not going to quit. I might come last, but I'm not going to quit. I might disappoint, but I'm not going to quit. And you can make a daring decision right now in your life to refuse to quit. And instead of finding the coward's way out, you can find the courageous way further in. And maybe the courage that you and I need to learn to show is simply in how resolve to not quit. No matter how hard, how discouraged, how painful, decide, I'm just not going to quit. I'll fail. I might come last, but I'm not going to quit. I might even disappoint people. In fact, we definitely would disappoint people, but I'm not going to quit. I'll upset, but I won't quit. I might even get fired, but I won't quit. And I am just fearful that too often you and I might be tempted to quit far too soon. One of Chloe Mai's favorite show on, uh, on Netflix is called Chef's Table. Anyone seen that Chef's Table before? Okay, two people. Thank you. Yes. Okay, it's a food show. Now, I absolutely love this show just for what it is. It, they go around at small documentaries on, uh, on kind of boutique restaurants and chefs and the most you know, uh, obscure chefs all around the planet that do something radical and something different. And so we just love it for that. We usually get a nice meal and sitting and watching Chef's Table or eating the meal just seems to make the food taste nicer. It's amazing how that happened, right? So we just love watching this show just because it's, it's fascinating to see the creativity of these chefs and the uniqueness of so many of these restaurants and um, you know, cafes all across the world in all different countries and languages. It's one of the coolest things to watch. But, but what Chloe and I, what really draws us back to watching this is this common denominator. Now, all the restaurants are different, all the recipes are different, all the stories are different, all the, uh, the talent's different, but there seems to be this common thread through each of these stories that they interview these amazing chefs. Is each one of them <laughs> came from nothing and just had a dream and just had an idea and they had a million opportunities to throw in the towel. People said your idea won't work. People said your restaurant's going to be a failure. No one rocked up to the opening day. They had so many opportunities to quit. In fact, that was the common denominator, denominator of each of their stories, but obviously they didn't. Now, each one of them have been interviewed in this amazing show and they're some of the best restaurants in the world. In fact, one of the most amazing stories that we love the most was by an Italian guy. And I love this. His name is Massimo Batura. Okay, from the, the town of Medina. Now, if you know anything about Italian culture, okay, so I'm, I'm Italian by heritage. Um, I got brought up in North Queensland. We still got a enclave of Sicilians. It is more Sicilian in Innisfail than it is in Sicily. That give you an idea, right? So there is like Sicily moved on. Innisfail stayed the same. Okay. So I've got, I honestly have relatives there that have been there six years and don't speak any English. It is the most beautiful thing. And their food is just amazing. But there are these like, these recipes that have been in the family for generations and generations. And you do not step outside of the family recipes, right? Or else you are excommunicated. And the nonas will get you, right? The nonna, if, what's a nonna? It's Italian for grandma. And I tell you, Italian grandmas, man, they will get you. Anyways, you think I'm joking? I'm not. So, so this guy, so he, uh, Maturo, so he had this idea of doing a unique version of this pasta that was uniquely known to Medina. And he's like, I'm convinced this is going to be the best thing this town has ever experienced. But dead set, he was persecuted by the nonnas in his town. And all the restaurants in town and all the locals were like, no, this is how we've been doing it in our city for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. How dare you go against it? Literally, people were boycotting his restaurant. Like they're saying, this is the most offensive thing to our culture. People have got a lot of time in their hands when you have time to boycott someone's new restaurant idea. But anyways, that's Italy, right? So that's why we travel there. Anyway, so um, 
So they are threatening, you know, to boycott. Here's the thing. He's like, nah, I've got an idea that the world needs. And he refused to quit. His own family persecuted him. I know they're heavy words, but seriously, if you see the story, it was full on what people, the local newspapers and media were saying, you know, this person being a disgrace to our town and our village because of this new idea. Now, this guy, since the restaurant has opened, has been in the top five restaurants on the planet every single year since it's opened. Can you imagine what he would have robbed the world of should he have listened to the doubters and chose to quit? Think of the blessing. Think of the uniqueness. Think of the creativity that the world would have been robbed of. Think of his potential that would have gone untapped should he have quit. And I wonder if it's the same for you and I too. I wonder what the world would be denied of if you quit too soon. The potential that's in you, the gift that's in your life, the dream that is bubbling under the surface. And man, I've been there. I know what it's like. Why do we quit? We get tired. We get discouraged. We get worn out. Deflated, defeated. Heck, we get fearful and anxious and worried like we've been there. You know what else I've discovered? If you're aiming for the stars, there's a million opportunities to be discouraged. But if you're not aiming for the stars as well, you'll probably experience discouragement in the same way. So you might as well try something daring. A lot of people have probably experienced the failure of never trying something more than stepping out and doing something that's radical and experiencing that kind of failure. Here's what I want to say is I get that at times we can be maybe in a relationship or a situation where the, the, the less painful option is to, you know, walk away and to throw in the towel in the quit. And, and I'm not saying there aren't times where you should be walking away from certain things that are, are wrong to be involved in. I'm certainly not saying that. But this is why it's important to ask the question, why do I feel like quitting? And what, where is this? Is this because my pride's hurt? Is this because, what, why is it? Why have I felt like quitting? And every time, every time I'm tempted to quit something important in my life, and every time I'm tempted to throw in the towel on something that is worth my investment and worth my time and worth my life, I'm reminded of who we follow and our perfect example that was seen in Jesus. You know, Jesus was tempted to quit as well. And I want to ask you, every time that you are tempted to quit, before you do, I want you to bring it to God. You know, Jesus, on his last week on earth, he enters Jerusalem and he'd been there on several other occasions. And every time we go there, crowds would gather around him. Because obviously not only was he, what he taught was revolutionary, but man, the guy would feed people. The guy would heal people. The guy would show compassion and kindness. Like there would be no International Women's Day if Jesus did not preach what he preached. He came to a world that was so anti-women and he had value and love and worth to women. Jesus turned the world Around. We owe so much in the world, whether you're a believer in his deity or not, we owe so much to the teachings of Jesus. It's unbelievable, right? So wherever Jesus went, he gathered crowds around him. And, 
And this last time in Jerusalem, week before his death, with no exception. And, and what had happened was so, was so unique. Obviously, Jesus was a Jew and he was in Israel filled with Jews. And then the Gospels record that two Gentiles, non-Jews, approached Jesus' disciples and asked to see him. And they were like, Can, you know, we wish to see Jesus. And for Jesus, that was, that was a sign knowing that his time had come. Because the moment he knew that the Gentiles had knocked on his door and wanted to see him, he knew that's why he came. It's what his mission was. He didn't just come to save Jews. He came to save the whole world. And the moment the whole world started knocking on his door, he was like, here comes my moment. And so he knew that the cross was just around the corner. He knew that the most horrific death was awaiting for him only a few days later. He knew this was his time. And here is where we see how Jesus responded to this most of intense moment when he became aware that I'm about to face the most terrifying thing on the planet. We have a brief moment of transparency like this from Jesus. John records it and it says, Jesus said, he said, now my soul is troubled. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? So he's obviously standing in front of his disciples here and he's a moment of honesty. He's like, I'm feeling it right now. And he asks the question, he goes, what, what should I say in this moment? What should I say? And he in the first instance he gives is this. He goes, should I pray this prayer? Should I pray, Father, would you save me from this hour? Would you deliver me and rescue me out of this? I know what's coming and this is, seems to be more than I can bear. And so he asks the question, he says, Father, will you save me from this hour? Now, let's be honest. We've been there, right? You've, you've had a troubled soul before. And at times when you feel that way, that maybe, maybe some of you right now are facing something where you're like Jesus, you're soul is troubled and you're tempted or you feel urged to just go, God, I just need rescuing from this right now. I need a way out. And it's worth asking the question, why is your soul troubled? Because at times your, your soul might be troubled because, well, maybe because you've got yourself into a mess. Maybe you've, maybe you've done some things that you should not have done and you feel the walls closing in around you. And so you feel like my soul, I'm about to be discovered, I'm about to be found out. Maybe that's the reason why your soul might be troubled. And maybe it's for you, you got into what you got into from the wrong motives or with the wrong hearts. And now it's been exposed and you can't handle the heat. And you're like, I never got into it for this. And, you're, and maybe you're not getting the accolades you're hoping for. And so your soul is troubled. But maybe, like Jesus, your soul is troubled because your time has come. And maybe your soul is troubled because you're now confronted by something that is beyond your own reserves and your own experience and is forcing you to your knees. You're like, God, if I'm going to do this and if I'm going to stay in this and if I'm not going to quit, I need you one way or the other. And Jesus was tempted here saying, my soul's troubled. So what am I going to pray? And he, the first option he gives out, he goes, should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But then like a rush of reason to his soul, he comes back with a bold exclamation. Here's what he says next. He says, no, no, I'm not going to pray that. He says, no, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. And so he changes his prayer from being, Father, save me from this hour to, Father, would you glorify your name? And he completely changed his prayer and he completely changed his focus from self-preservation, from God, would you rescue me out of this? To going, God, this is actually the reason you have put me on this earth. This is my moment and I am terrified and this is well beyond my experience and I've never been here before, but you've got to pull through for me now. I'm turning my attention towards you. I'm putting my trust in you. Would you glorify your name in this? If I don't quit in this, this isn't so people look at me and go, you're amazing. If I don't quit, I'm going to be saying, 
God should get all the glory here. It is not me. So here's what I want you to remember. Like Jesus, when you attempted to quit, I want you to remember the source of your courage. When you attempted to pull the pin and when you attempted to throw in the towel, I want you to remember the source of your courage. Do not quit until you first bring what you're feeling to your heavenly Father because He loves you so much and He's there to help you through whatever it is that you're tempted to quit. Okay. Everyone good? feel a bit awkward sometimes when I like get all passionate and everyone's just like, oh, awkward, is he finishing? Like... <laughs> so next time you're tempted to quit, before you do, maybe you need a holiday first. Maybe you need to have a chat with someone or maybe you even need to go back to the source of your courage. And this is exactly what we see happen with Peter and John. They refused to quit, even under threat of death and threat of arrest. They were like, we're not going to quit. We're not going to quit. And so they get released. And we pick up the story as we finish tonight. So on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, to their own people, to the Jesus followers. And they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. They're like, they threatened us. They said, we can't teach anymore about Jesus. We've got to quit. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And before we go to the next slide, I want you to notice something here. Notice to where Peter and John went when they were threatened to quit. Since they went back to their own people. And what did their own people encourage them to do? They raised their voices together in prayer to God. So I want to ask you, who is it that you go to when you're tempted to quit? Because when you're tempted to quit something, you don't need to go to someone who's just going to reaffirm your anxieties and reaffirm your worries and reaffirm your fears and reaffirm your opinions about how wrong the world is and how unjust everyone is against you. You, What would be smart is for you to find people that are going to remind you that your heavenly Father is for you, that His grace is sufficient for your life and someone who will stand with you and pray with you and say, hey, before we make a decision here, let's trust God together. Let's look to God together. And maybe that's why you're here tonight. Maybe the reason this could be your first time here is because you've been faced with a conundrum in life. And so you're trying to find a group of people that are going to stand with you and pray with you and trust you and encourage you. And we want to always exist to be that kind of community. There would be a community, a church that would believe for the impossible, that would trust God for the miraculous. There'd be people that would encourage one another when people at their lowest and attempted to quit, that by simply being a part of our own people, that your faith and courage would be built up and lifted and grown. So they go to their own people and they all lift up their voices and pray to God. Now, what would you pray? If you're with them right now and you hear that you're about to be threatened and your community is only small and the, you know, you're the founder of your religion, this new religion had just been crucified, even though he'd been resurrected, you guys were all there and the, all the temple and Rome, everyone's against you. What would you be tempted to pray here? What would you pray? I know what I would pray. I'd be like, God, would you smite them? Would you smite the temple guard? Would you smite the priests? Would you smite the Sadducees? Would you smite the Romans? Well, God, would you deliver me? Would you rescue me out of this? God, they're threatening us. God, would you help us? <laughs> Here's what they prayed. And there's something for us all to learn here. They prayed, now, Lord, would you consider their threats? This is amazing. And would you enable your servants to speak your word with great, say it with me, boldness. 
Their prayer wasn't God make us safe. Their prayer wasn't God rescue us. They prayed the most daring prayer that any person could ever pray. They prayed, God, would you make us bold? They changed their prayer. They prayed the daring prayer. And here's what I wonder, before you and I quit, before you throw in the towel, maybe your prayers have been, God, rescue me. God, deliver me. God, would you help me? God, would you save me? But have you ever prayed the daring prayer? Have you ever prayed, God, make me bold? God, would you change me? God, I don't know if you can turn the things around. I don't even know if you want to turn the things around. But God, would you turn me around? (laughs) Would you make me stronger? Would you make me more courageous? If you could do it in Peter's life, who was scared of a little girl and then stood in front of the hierarchy of his day, surely you can do it in me too. And so before you quit, I'm asking you, as we finish this season, would you consider changing your prayers? You know, one of the things that have helped me so much through the years with this has been a prayer that was written about 1,600 years ago by St. Augustine, and he wrote these simple words. He said, Ask not, speaking of asking God, ask God not for a lighter load, but for stronger shoulders. And maybe, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be asking God to lighten your load. Some of you definitely need a lighter load, and, and I totally believe God is a load bearing taker offerer, right? He answers prayers, man, and he delivers, no doubt about it. But at times as well, remember this, I'm, we are always itching for God to turn things around, but God is a father. He's a good father. He's a gracious father. And like any great parent knows at times what the kid asks for isn't always what's best for them. And a parent doesn't just want to give the kid what the kid wants. The parent wants to give the kid what the kid needs. And sometimes what our heavenly father knows that we need isn't a lighter load. It is stronger shoulders. So you and I would grow. And so I'm asking you, I'm asking, we're going to do this together in just a moment. I'm going to ask us to stand and sing through this song together. And whatever it is you're facing, you're tempted to quit. Whatever you're facing and you're fearful about, we're going to ask God together for stronger shoulders. So here's this week's daring decision. Number one, it's pray a different prayer. And number two, it's pray with different people. And I want to ask us tonight if we would do that together. So can we stand to our feet? And as the team leads us, I want you to pray and bring your request to God to trust Him for stronger shoulders and for boldness. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.